and welcome to the Motherkind podcast with me, Zoe Blasky, where each week I chat about all things motherhood and well-being. This week I am chatting to the awesome Amy Ransom. Amy is a mum of three. She writes a blog called Surviving Motherhood and she's written an awesome book called The New Mum's Notebook, which is a sanity-saving journal for new mums. Amy and I had such a good chat. It was one of those where we chatted for so long and then we realised that we weren't actually recording. We just got on like a house on fire. So by the time we start recording, we were well into the flow. We chat about ditching the shoulds and doing things our own way. My mum was really sweet. I mean, she really understood that I wanted to just be with the kids. We did go over and see her and take some flowers, but... She sort of said, oh, you know, feel like we should do something. And I was like, why? There's no shit here for me. Postnatal depression anxiety and how it led her into writing the new mum's notebook, being in tune and flow and what that means for her. After I wrote the book, she said something that I didn't understand because I wasn't that in tune with source energy and things, but she said, you must have been so in tune with source when you wrote that book because of where the book has gone. I didn't sit down and think, I'm going to write a book or I hope I get a book deal or I hope this happens. We talk about journaling, how on earth she parents three children on her own. She's a single mum and how she's grown as a person with each one. Well, I think probably like all of us, suddenly there was a reason that really mattered if I died. Now it's really bizarre because I've had it every time with each of them. And I've had friends that like get really anxious about their children getting sick or dying. I think it was just that responsibility of thinking, what if I'm not here? But actually, although those things are massive tragedies, I also see that we carry on. We also chat about being in the solution. So we talk about therapy, we talk about running, we have a really great chat about some of the books and the writers that we love in common. So I hope you really enjoy the episode and let us know. You can find Amy on Instagram at Surviving Motherhood and me at Motherkind underscore Zoe. And here it is. So Amy, welcome to the Motherkind podcast. Thank you for having me, Zoe. I'm so excited to be here in your absolutely gorgeous home. <laughs> With all the drawing on the wall. <laughs> it's beautiful. I'm sat on your very plush sofa, which I absolutely love. Bit of sofa envy oh, going on right oh, here. I love a sofa. <laughs> and um, happy Mother's Day, which was Thank yesterday. You. Did you have a good day? Do you know what? It was a really, really lovely day. It was really chilled. Went to church in the morning, which was actually the highlight because my eldest served and the two little ones read a prayer and my heart broke a bit and I was like do you know what it doesn't get better than this and normally I would do something really big on Mother's Day I'd like have my mum over you know in the old days we'd have had my mother-in-law and yesterday I was just like I just want to be with the kids I want to regroup and so we sat on the sofa we've got a dirty takeaway pizza (laughs) I'm saying to the girl that doesn't eat chicken. <laughs> um, it was lovely and we just chilled out and it was really low-key and there were no expectations and it was just nice. I think that's so nice. I read one of my friends said on Instagram that she had spent Mother's Day or a portion of it just yeah. sat with her little girl yeah. telling each other about what they loved about oh. each other. And I was like, isn't that nice? I think sometimes it's easy and I said about this yesterday about the fanfare of it yeah. and actually... Could we just use it as a day just to connect and be slow and be still and actually do yeah. nothing, not rush around going to lunch that we had to book three years ago because everything gets booked out. And also my mum was really sweet. I mean, she really understood that I wanted to just be with the kids. And we did go over and see her and take some flowers. But she sort of said, oh, you know, feel like we should do something. And I was like, why? There's no should here for me. And I said, actually, my worst nightmare is going to a restaurant with all three of them. <laughs> It's not really going to be very relaxing, and I'd rather just hang out at home. She was like, that's cool. That's so freeing, isn't it, letting go of the shirts? Yeah, it's, it's really unusual as well, I think, because I called it a selfish Mother's Day, because... Why did you think it was selfish? I thought it was selfish in a good way, right. because I would not normally put myself first. I would normally think about, my mum deserves to be looked after as well, and, and I think actually that's a byproduct of being separated, is that... I put so much hard graft into every day with those kids Mm. that I was like, I get to choose how I want it to be. Actually, we should always do that. Yeah, of course we should. But we don't. 
Why do you think we don't? I don't know, but I spoke to lots of people yesterday and people rushing around and there were people saying, oh, I'm going off to my in-laws now for dinner. We've got people coming over. And they didn't look that euphoric about it. And when I said I was sitting on the sofa with a pizza, they were like, I'm so jealous right now. And I think we try to please, or, or maybe it's just habitual. We don't choose to question it. So we say, we've always done it like this. So let's just carry on. Also, I think it takes a little bit of courage, doesn't it? Well, it takes a few things, what I've learned. is One is letting go of those shoulds of what society and everyone else works. thinks we should... I always say shoulds are shit. Yeah. And actually, in our, in our house, shit. it's banned. So if you come to my house, you're not allowed to say to yourself or anyone else what you should be yeah. doing. And it has to be replaced with could. Yeah. Um, well, should I, is basically saying, I don't want to do this. Yeah, I should do this. It's yeah. a real flag for me when I ever hear myself say to myself, yeah. I should do this. Well, then I'm disconnecting from what I really want to do. Yeah, I think and so. Then I'm not being authentic, and then what's the point in life? Yeah. And if I'm telling someone else what they should do, which, yeah. believe me, I get tempted to with my husband all yeah. the time, then I'm trying to control someone else to make me feel okay. God, that's so true. Which isn't okay. It's not okay. So now I'll say to him, you know, you could, you could try that. And he'll be like, or should I? And I'm like, no, you could, you could. Do what you want. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so I think it takes that, doesn't it? And then I think it takes a bit of space, which you obviously gave yourself to be like, well, what do I want to do? I did. And you know what? You must have thought about that. I did actually, because last week my anxiety wasn't great. And I, I was actually quite grumpy and I felt quite low. I don't commit to things normally because of anxiety. I feel much safer being at home. Mm. And I've been invited to three really nice events and instead of turning them down, again, it wasn't necessarily a massively conscious, I'm going to do this, but I just thought, I need to get out there. This is my work because I know sometimes Instagram, all these things, it kind of looks like a frivolous, we're just sharing stuff. But actually, a lot of us actually are lucky enough now to make our living out of that. And I know I am. And so I reframed what I was doing. And I was like, actually, I'm not going out to socialise and get drunk, partly because I'm not drinking at the moment. These are work things. And reframing it and thinking of it as work, okay, work that I'm going to enjoy, really helped me not be flaky and cancel it because my anxiety was bad or I was worried about what it was going to be like. But part of that kind of intricate pattern was my goal. And my goal was... If I can do this and put myself out there, then I'm going to have a lovely, quiet, safe Mother's Day at home with the kids, not cooking, not looking after other people's needs, not putting myself in a restaurant situation that might be potentially stressful. And I think it really was a proper reward at the end of that week. So I guess it was quite conscious. Yeah, and I bet your kids loved it. Yeah, there wasn't one bit. The day was really full. You know, the church bit, I I really like going to church. I get quite a lot out of it, especially now that they all three go to Sunday school. So I literally have an hour to just sit quietly. But yesterday was really special, you know, being there with other mums Mm. um, because it's affiliated with our school. And just having people that know my situation and chose to come up to me yesterday and sort of say, you know, sorry, you've had a bit of a tough time recently or... Oh, you look really nice today. Or, you know, I felt that need to be amongst other mums. And I really got that from church yesterday. And then we went to saw my mum. Yeah, it was just lovely. The kids just wanted to be at home and they wanted to play. And they didn't want me saying every five minutes, we're sitting at the table now, or we're doing this, or can you get out of the way because I'm serving up a meal for six people? Or it was just us. It was just me and my crew, and yeah, it was really special, actually. Oh, that's lovely. I make it sound perfect. By the way, there was bickering, and there was still me going. Yeah, don't make it sound too perfect. Yeah, it wasn't too perfect. Come on, Come on we had a pizza, hot, dirty pizza. <laughs> that sounds pretty really perfect. <laughs> you can't have the cheesy balls. <laughs> you can't have the cheesy balls. <laughs> but it was good, it was good. And so, you were talking a bit about your anxiety. Yeah. Is this something that you've always had, or do you think this oh, happened? 100%. I but when I was like younger I read um Bryony Gordon's Mad Girl um, amazing book by the way just yeah. love it and I had the real fortune of meeting her a few weeks ago and she blew my mind with actually what you say and within seconds of meeting her, I was like crying on her shoulder and telling all my deepest darkest secrets when I read her Mad Girl it was uncanny how much of her experience I related to because I had 
like really bad health anxiety when I was like nine years old. Mm. And I'd never really thought, or my parents hadn't even thought, this is a little bit odd that, you know, she goes to bed at night asking if she's going to wake up in the morning. I did the whole, went through the flicking the light switch thing. Obviously, uh, Bryony talked about when HIV and AIDS was being talked about. I remember being panic-stricken by that. Convinced that you had it, yeah, or you might have it. Toilet seat, yeah. or just real misunderstood kind of concepts. But I hadn't realised that I've carried that throughout my life, and lots of my behaviours have probably been a response to that. And, you know, I'm better now with my health anxiety, and I wouldn't say that I sit here imagining illnesses. I'm not kind of that side spectrum. But when I'm unwell, I find it very hard to rationalise it. And, you know, hearing about other people getting sick used to terrify me. Like, I've never watched anything. And it's amazing, actually, now I follow people like Bao Babe and Ruth Naylor, and... I couldn't have done that a few years ago because all I would have seen was, am I going to get cancer? But now I look at those girls and I think, if I get cancer, I'm going to be okay because those girls are making it okay Mm. because they're reframing how we look at cancer and it's just different, isn't it? We're talking about this stuff and it's becoming a bit less scary, whereas before it always terrified the life out of me. Mm. It's fascinating, isn't it, how... You know, so many of us have different things that we go to. Like for you, it was your health. I know for me, yeah. it was other things. It's just, yeah. it's really interesting to me. And and do you have a sense of how motherhood played into that? Because you talk about, didn't you, with your third? Yeah. Well, I think probably like all of us, suddenly there was a reason that really mattered if I died. You know, it wasn't just me, was it? Now, it's really bizarre because... I've had it every time with each of them. And I've had friends that, like, get really anxious about their children getting sick or dying. I must be really selfish because I only think about myself. <laughs> I've never ever thought that, oh, what if something happens to them? So I'm not that mother that's, like, really neurotic about them. I think it was just that responsibility of thinking, what if I'm not here? Mm. And now I see that reality around me and we do see that you know we've got a much bigger pool of people that we know about you know we don't just know about the people that are within five miles about where we live and that's amazing it's also scary because you then see that these things happen you know I've got friends who have lost their husbands but actually although those things are massive tragedies I also see that we carry on and that's quite a liberating thought isn't it you know stuff goes on we've all got all my friends have got some sort of something's going on in their life. None of them are, like, cruising along going, this is just a ball, isn't it? People are losing their parents, they're separating, they're dealing with minor illnesses. And in a weird way, that kind of makes me feel stronger. Mm. We're going to handle, aren't we? What It's empowering, doing. isn't it, to know yeah. that... And to watch others, you know, whatever happens. Yeah. You know, one of my favourite sort of affirmations is whatever happens, I'll handle it. And I do believe that today. I believe that. Based on, like you're saying, a lot of the stories of other women who are now sharing their journeys. So with your, um, you know, your anxiety, you talked about your health anxiety growing up. And did that get worse when you had the children? So you talk about having PND. Can you talk a bit about that experience and then how that led to your amazing book? The new so I don't book. think I knew I think with my first I was so immersed in I must make her sleep I must make her sleep I don't think I realised that I was probably postnatally ill but looking back oh my gosh it's like I think as well though because you don't know what it's meant to feel like I mean, with I your first I was look around at the other girls in my NCT group who were amazing and think oh I'm being a little bit more extreme but at that point, I wasn't sure how much of that was just my personality. Yeah. And how much was... Especially if you'd been living with it since you were, Yeah, you know. exactly. With my middle, Ivy, I did actually go to the doctors that time, but I didn't take any medication, I didn't do any therapy, because I sort of was able to come out of it. But a friend actually got diagnosed with breast cancer a month after I had Ivy. And I do remember that being a big beacon of, oh my gosh, this is really happening, you know. And she had a child not much older than Ivy. And I remember thinking that that was quite difficult, but I didn't run away from that. I did what I could to help her out and cooked the odd meal for her. And 
And I actually found myself wanting to be involved, not wanting mm. to pretend it wasn't happening. Or run the other way. Yeah, so that was quite interesting. And then when I had Joseph, it just was like a blooming train. It was completely different. You had a lot of times. challenging circumstances, didn't you? I did have challenging you? circumstances. My dad had been diagnosed with cancer when I was probably about six months pregnant with Joseph. And that really knocked me because I'm very, very close to my dad. But also, I had this inbuilt feeling that my mum because my mum used to be a smoker I had this inbuilt thing that my mum was going to get cancer Mm. and also my mum lost her mum very young my grandma was 67 when she died I was only five and so when my mum started to hit the 67 mark which was probably actually around Joseph I had this weird hope she's going to be okay and it was really bizarre I'd spent so long worrying about something happening to my mum that when it happened to my dad I was like my gosh and he had a major operation about four weeks after I had Joseph. And then my middle child, Ivy, got chickenpox, which meant that I then couldn't see my I couldn't family. go out. I couldn't go out. Yeah, it God. was six weeks holidays. I had three children under five. I couldn't go out because it was summer holidays. So I was very isolated. Couldn't see my family because my dad was in hospital. And they, the nurses were just very like, we just don't know how this could be passed on. We're just not going to take any risks. And then we finally got a little holiday. We just went down to Bournemouth for three days. And the first day, the morning, 7.30 in the morning, my eldest whacked the apartment door onto my middle child's foot and amputated the top of her toe. Except we didn't really know. She went to A&E, she was checked out, it was fine. A week later, I went to my local doctor to have her bandage changed and they were like, this doesn't look good. And it basically had got infected and they were really worried that she had osteomyelitis which is like a bone infection so we then got admitted to hospital so she was in the hospital for four days and you're carrying what like a six seven week old old oh my gosh and we were in hospital for four days she had a general anaesthetic and she had to have an operation it was minor operation you know the mums I saw and the dads I saw in there with children having heart surgery you know it was small but the problem with it was is it kept getting reinfected and it basically took three months to recover and she couldn't wear shoes. And if you have health anxiety, hospitals are not ideal places not. to be and hanging actually, out. That's when I started to get my panic attacks. Unsurprising. Unsurprising. Sitting in a hospital with her and six week old. And also it was the fact that I just didn't know what was going to happen. Every time the bandage came off, it seemed to get worse, not better. And then I had an amazing... Uh, my doctors are literally amazing. I mean, people complain about doctors. I, I'm just blessed, I think. And the practice nurse was seeing me for Ivy's foot and we came to a sort of care plan. But she obviously was seeing me more than she would normally have seen me. Mm. And I think she must have seen me go downhill because then I think about probably a couple of weeks after that happened, I think I was having a really bad day and all the blinds were shut and suddenly there was a knock on the door and it was my nurse. And she said, I've been trying to call you and I just had a feeling something's not right. And I said... I don't think it's right. I don't think I'm very well. And she's like, I don't think you're well either. And she'd never done a home visit. She's been a nurse for 30 years. She'd never done a home visit. It's the first home visit of her career. She said, there's just something not right when I last saw I could see it in your eyes. And so they had me in the doctor's surgery that afternoon to see my amazing doctor that I've actually seen after Ivy. And then everything started to get better. My nursery were amazing. You know, Ivy was going to nursery three days a week, but they took her five days a week for me until I got better. Because Ivy couldn't wear shoes. And I know it sounds really silly, but I had three really small kids and I couldn't cope with anything that was like an extra care. I think a lot of people understand that. Yeah, And it was interesting as well because... I know that when, you know, sometimes with postnatal depression, people talk about a detachment from their baby. And I didn't have that. I felt very connected to him. But I had a massive detachment from Ivy. Right. And I think that was because of the extra care she needed. I remember thinking, I don't feel the same way about her anymore. And I remember worrying and thinking, I don't think we're ever going to connect again. I felt like I couldn't be around her. And it's so different to that now. She's in the middle and she gets sandwiched between a very strong-willed older and younger. And I really tried to carve out time for her. But, you know, she is my kindest child, you know. And and I remember posting about that probably about six months ago. You know when sometimes you put something up that you don't know why you're sharing it. You just shared a nice picture and you wrote something about how you felt about something. And I had loads of people get in touch and say, well, it's really nice that you've talked about that. 
because I've had that experience or I'm having it now where it's not my baby I can't relate to, it's my older child and I'm scared that I don't love them anymore and it's nice to hear you talk about it and say you've come through it. It's that normalising, isn't it? Yeah, it's normalising, isn't it? So how did you go from then sort of having the home visit and being in quite a dark, challenging place, not surprising, I think, given what was going on, to writing this amazing resource for other mums? What was that journey? Very bizarre. My friend says, my friend's really, she brought me into it, where we've talked about it a little bit before we started this, didn't we, about law of attraction and the universe, and... After I wrote the book, she said something that I didn't understand because I wasn't doing a lot of reading at that point or wasn't that in tune with source energy and things. But she said this thing. She said, you must have been so in tune with source when you wrote that book because of where the book has gone. Yeah. And it wasn't something... I didn't sit down and think, I'm going to write a book or I hope I get a book deal or I hope this happens. I just remember thinking... I'd written a few blog posts and I remember lots of people saying... I'm so sad that I'm coming to this a year in. I didn't have this at my fingertips when I needed it. And an obstetrician got in touch and said, I didn't know about the fourth trimester and I'm going to introduce it into my clinic today. Now, the fourth trimester, by the way, is something that is known about, but actually three years ago... Yeah, it's changed, hasn't it? Yeah. As much as it is now. It's not something... I mean, people said to me, well, did you come up with this concept? I was like, no, no, it was out there. (laughs) But we just didn't know about it. And basically, all I wanted to do was write a little leaflet, you know, a few pages about these things and just get it out to new mums. About PND and fourth trimester and taking it easy, yep. And also, I was a real routine mum with my first two and it didn't work out that way third time. I did sort of try it, but it just didn't work. And I kind of wanted to say to people, it just doesn't really matter. Because first time mums, we all think it matters because I thought it mattered. And I missed out on a lot of stuff. And if I hadn't had a third child, I might have never done those things you know had him sleep in bed with me or things that just were nice and so I sort of started writing I always had the name weirdly I always had new mum's notebook in my head and then I thought oh I'll just put some memo pages in the bag I'll just put some blank pages so that you know it pads it out and mums can write in it and then I started doing a mood board of how I wanted it to look one of my school mum friends is a graphic designer and I just spoke to her one day in the playground and said do you fancy doing this with me? And she's like, yeah, okay, let's give it a go. And the 16-page booklet grew and grew and grew. And then it was like a 304-page book, which just kind of developed. I feel like it really created itself. And then I had it self-published. I didn't just put it on Kindle. I actually had copies made in China. And I had all these books turn up, over 3,000 <laughs> books, hardback. They weighed a kilo each. And they just arrived. And then it just took off, Zoe. It just... I was lucky in that I had a platform because, you know, I had some followers on Instagram, I had some followers on Facebook, so I was able to get it out there. But then just very quickly, it just was there. And then probably about... I was probably selling it for about six months. And I went to an agent with a book idea for another book. I didn't have any room to self-publish any more books. <laughs> and I sent her, she had a young child, a young baby at the time, and so I sent her the notebook in the post and just said, oh, you might like this for your son. And she, the next day she was emailed me, she's like, when can you come in? And she's like, let's talk about this notebook. And I was like, but I've already done it. She was like, someone's going to want this. And that was it. After about two weeks, she did a lovely package, sent it out to people with the second book proposal, which is the book that's now coming in September. And within about two weeks, we had an offer from Penguin Hutchinson. And that was how it kind of went. Amazing, isn't it? As I heard your story, and I was just thinking about the word flow, because I think what's so interesting is when something comes from such a place of being of service in the world I guess and just doing it not from a place of trying and pushing and just allowing how easily and how it all flowed and I've experienced that a bit with mother kind because I think the energy around doing something of service is really different than doing something from an ego point of view I can sense it when I meet people now I can sense when they're coming from a place where something's just very naturally coming to them or sometimes I can sense that anxiety of... And I understand it because we do live in a world where everyone, especially in the motherhood genre, everyone's doing something, which yeah. is incredible. But I think amongst that, you can 
become quite anxious that you're going to miss your time or someone else is doing way better than you or oh why have they achieved this and I haven't Mm. achieved that but for me I think that is an exhausting state of mind because you can never keep up with absolutely everyone and everyone's journey is so different it's a lose-lose isn't it yeah so it is interesting it absolutely came from a place of I mean I always wanted to write a book writing was always what I've wanted to do since I was like 10 but interestingly the times I've tried to force it it hasn't materialised. And then, yeah, I kind of just feel like it created itself. But they say that, don't they? I was reading something the other day by Tim Ferriss, who's one of my favourite sort of content creators, and he said the only reason to write a book is because it's less painful to write it than it is to leave it inside you because it is Such eating you up and it is burning you up so much that to get rid of it being in your head 24-7, you write the bloody thing. Yeah. and I was like that is such a great way of looking at it I mean that sums up writing for me it's funny because I blog way less now I hardly blog at all but I use Instagram I'm not really a picture and six word person and I often think oh, I, I often get to the end where you know when it starts deleting you yeah. you use your number as your characters but I just like writing I make sense of quite a lot of stuff about my life and the kids and separation and anxiety and actually I think it's a really nice forum I often use that word about Instagram because I don't see it as you just put something out there and I benefit a lot from people's comments yeah same yeah you know yeah and stories actually I didn't used to do Instagram stories I was like what's the point but Friday had this really boring long sequence of monologues about what I'd learned last week about the anxiety and going out regardless and then I got a lot of feedback which helped me as well but what's interesting to me a couple of things is that you know whenever I work with someone on a one-on-one one of the first things that I say is to start writing start journaling and I don't know of a sort of self-development or certainly a spiritual sort of modality where writing isn't some part of it because my experience of it is that left with my thoughts swimming around in my head it's bloody difficult to work out what's going on for me and just I often will write you know I journal every day and I'll write a question at the top like what am I afraid of or what am I really feeling today or what's going on for me sometimes and I swear it is bloody bonkers how well it works because I always get an insight to what I didn't realise was going on on the surface. Yeah. I'd be like, oh, that's, you see that's it. And also that process of like just writing it. Yeah. And there's lots of interesting studies around our mind and our hand and yeah. how important it is to actually write as opposed to type on our phone. Yeah. It's fascinating. It's fascinating. So I think writing and journaling is... I think it is. I think it's something that... And people enjoy doing it, don't they? I mean, I am surprised. I always say, I should never say this. I'm always surprised that the notebook is helping people. Now, I obviously hoped it would, but I've had quite a lot of medical professionals endorse it, and that surprises me because I have no psychological training in any of this. I mean, I've done CDT, so I have coping mechanisms that I could share, but some of the words, apparently, that I've used are quite key because I haven't read anything about that, so they've just come. The two things that made me think, one is that your humility around that, and people will pick up on that energy of, you know, your humility of not thinking yeah. that it's helping when it's had such a big impact yeah. is amazing. And, you know, I think there's no stronger way to connect with someone than a shared experience. Lovely, isn't it? We're so lucky to be able to do it, aren't we? And common sense as well. And, you know, a lot of what I talk about, and it's not highfalutin psychological mastery, is it? A lot no. of it's common sense. And it's that's what very... I teach. But common sense isn't common practice, it's especially not. when you're knackered and you're a new mum. And that's what I think I thought. I thought, yeah, actually, this was one of the key triggers with the notebook, was my sister doesn't have kids, and she's very holistic, and um, she's a musician, so she's got quite a demanding, off-the-grid life. She's, you know, It's not like ours, where we're sort of in control of anything at any one time. She's like off doing crazy stuff all the time. But she is amazing with my kids, and she's amazing with me, and we're very close. And every time I had a baby, I've always, like, had the weird few weeks afterwards where I have felt anxious and health anxiety and I'd like be on the phone to her because she lives in Manchester and I'd say I didn't feel like this last time she'd be like you did and she talked me through it actually it was one of the key things thinking about it with the notebook was that I thought wouldn't it be useful to have a book that you could look back on if you had another baby 
because it's divided into 12 months and there's journal pages within each month. So you could literally go, oh, I did feel like this four weeks in because I wrote it down. And it's just about comforting and reassuring yourself in that because you do, you, you, you forget every time. Of course you forget, because there's so much going on, isn't yeah. there? And I mean, you might be really good at changing a nappy now, you might be a wizard at it, but you won't remember. And also, yeah, it doesn't get easier having more kids, because you've got more kids to look after. I think, you know, if you get to the end of the journal, and you, you know, end of year one, and you're able to look on that journey of how far mm. you've come, because, you know, that first 12 months, there's nothing like it, is there? It's bonkers. There's nothing like it. Especially like you say, like, I always think about this thinking about having another baby maybe you know guys you're never going to get that time where it was just one again and then I get the fear a bit because I think I found it really really hard you know and I know I would Kate like we were talking about I think god how would I and having that resource where I had it written down because I have my journals but I mean they are like rambly and long and random so for me having that would would have been incredibly helpful and would be now if I was going to look back on it thinking about another one you know there are lots of I mean I experienced it in those you know two three months after Joseph was born you know he was a third not all my friends were having thirds at the same time and I didn't have the kind of security reassurance of an NCT group. And because he was a third, I wasn't really doing baby classes because I couldn't be bothered. And I just started going to a K group in the end. But I was very aware that there were lots of people out there doing this on their own with mm. no friends nearby, no family nearby. And I was worried for people because it happened to me. Mm, they it might really not have had the nurse isolated. like you had. There's so many people going under the radar. Yeah. So many people, you yeah. know. What's your mission then, if you could change one thing? I did a really, really interesting mental health panel with Molly, Selfish Mother and Bryony and Joe from Novella Loves. And we had this really lovely chat after where we were all talking about what's next and what we're doing. And he was like, so what about you? And I was like, I just want to have a really nice long lie down. Because I didn't feel, I've been a bit out of tune with myself the last few months. And, you know, I've got the Not So New Mums notebook coming in September, but... I couldn't feel what my journey is. But recently, I started to feel it again. And I think we're brilliant at talking about mental health, which is great sharing experience, which I think is really amazing. And it's where it starts. But what I don't think we're tapping into, you're doing it, but we need to get the audiences bigger. Because you have taught me more today. you said so many key things that I'm like, oh my goodness. And I think where we need to expand the conversation now is we need to start talking about solutions and how we deal with anxiety because I'm experimenting with not drinking at the moment. It suddenly occurred to me that why am I putting something into my body? I mean, I'm taking medication and I'm doing everything I can do to try and be well, you know, exercise, meditation when I can, but then I'm putting something into my body and I'm not talking about one glass of wine, I might go and have a a binge on a Saturday night and then I'm high the next day and I'm feeling low. And it's pretty obvious that that's not a good thing to do when you suffer from anxiety and depression. But also what you've told me today about, you know, the majority of serotonin is made in the gut. So our diet, I mean, I know diet is important, but I didn't know that that's where most of serotonin comes from. Mm. And so I feel like we should be now, I guess what I want to hear is I want to hear a little bit more from people like you, people like Emma, the psychology mum, Michelle, dear Orla, people who have training and solid experience, people who can offer not just coping mechanisms like CBT, but actual things to say, this is how you can improve your anxiety. Because I'm all for medication and mine definitely isn't working this time around. I need to go back to my doctor and talk about that. And I would say to anyone that's listening to this, do question your medication because I haven't been feeling great on mine. I've been feeling quite foggy. And it took someone else to mention that last week, that their experience on what I'm taking, and of course, we're all different. It's not one medication that suits all. But she had an experience on what I'm on. And when she said it, I was like, it was like a, a eureka moment. That's how I'm feeling right now. So it's made me question it again. Yeah. So I just think that, you know, I'm all for medication and I've, did this campaign recently, this is the face of antidepressants, about removing stigma and shame. But I want to do everything I can to help myself. And I think we need to have a much more solution-based approach rather than just talking about it. Yeah, and we were chatting a lot about this before we started. 
recording and just saying how important it is to have the two sides of that as Absolutely. well. And I think, you know, something that you've done so powerfully is share your experience. And the more yeah. people that can do that, the better. Yeah. But then, like you say, I saw lots of people talking about yeah. it and then it's the so what. So I relate. It's the so what. I relate. I but am feeling what? the same. Now what? Where yes. do I go? And something that I try and do in my kind is a lot of signposting. It's so, mind blowing as well. I mean, there's so much out there. That's I one of the challenges. Spend the whole week with you, absorbing your knowledge and information. You know, you said something about therapy, and I need to do some therapy. I have, I'm not doing any at the moment, and I need to. And, and it's interesting how you said, you know, you hope that you can afford to do it for the rest of your life. Mm. And what's really interesting about that is people see therapy as. I'll do it for a period of time to get through X. So I've got this to deal with. But in actual fact, as you said, life is always changing. And that's an amazing resource to be able to talk with someone who's impartial and who is qualified Yeah. to listen to you. Yeah. I mean, as well, I think, you know, it takes the pressure off my husband. (laughs) (laughs) I think, you know, one of the things that I've learned is that I can't expect my friends or my husband or to be able to help me in a constructive way other than giving me a hug and telling me they love me which is great but actually you know my husband has a therapist as well and you know the two of us having that support it bloody made a difference in our marriage because actually I come to him more with solutions rather than you know yeah I guess it's about taking responsibility which is a lot of what I do for how I'm feeling and my recovery and what I'm doing and that's why I sort of you know a lot of people use therapy like you said and there's nothing wrong with that and there's so many different shades of therapy and I'm going to do a post about this because I don't think that's that well known either but I've used different types of therapy to deal with specific things when I've wanted to go deeper into childhood or whatever but now my therapist is really just someone impartial knowledgeable very kind and highly trained who can help me when I'm going off track because what I know about my mind is that like you said with the fog that you needed someone else you can't do it yourself I don't know and this is why I'm so passionate about meditation and journaling because I don't know if I don't do those things when I'm going off track and nor does my husband and nor do my mates they'll just listen to me moan for a bit it was actually my therapist will say I'm going to stop you there Zoe moaning about X what's going on for you and then I'll have a breakthrough and I'll learn something new about myself and then that is mega and it's funny you said something (laughs) earlier about you know that when we get into that cycle that perpetuation of I said that I kept saying the C word last week and I never say that word but I was just having one of those weeks and then it just perpetuated and, and you said something about victim and that was the moment for me where I was like, I was being a victim last week. I could feel myself feeling very wronged being a separated mother of three. Yeah. And I do believe in positive separation. You know, that's my mantra and I absolutely live by that. But actually last week I was feeling wronged. I was feeling like all the responsibility was on me and I could have chose to see that differently. I could have gone, look at what I'm holding down. Mm. This is amazing. And it's kind of where I ended the week. Yeah, I think you need to go. You need to go easy on yourself because I think there's nothing wrong, and I do it with indulging in a bit of poor old me. There's nothing wrong with that. Where it's a problem, exactly that is where it goes into the whole way that we see the world. And actually, what I'm interested in is comeback rate. So if something happens to me, I'm probably going to go into the poor me or pointing a finger or whatever disastrous thinking, whatever I tool I choose but how quickly can I stop that and think actually what's going on with me yeah and then I've got shortcuts now so like I was saying to you before we recording you know if it's resentment so I'm feeling angry at someone else yeah it's obvious yeah it's obvious when we're resenting someone else because we're blaming them we're angry at them normally not always but for me and for others I know that's when we feel like a victim when we're somehow disempowered in that relationship so I've got these shortcuts now and this is what I do when I coach someone I've got these little shortcuts where I can know if someone's in that place normally there might be something going on around feeling disempowered or a victim or and that's not said with any blame or judgment at all it's how can we free you from that yeah and that's why therapy is for me like absolute bedrock of you know navigating this bonkers world yeah. it's bloody bonkers out there it is absolutely bonkers throw kids into the I mean, mix there was a weird thing last <laughs> week where i did have a bit of a moment where i just went it was framed negatively because that's where my mindset was but someone said to me are you okay you, you look quite low and i was like Do you know what 
I am a bit low. I'm all right, I said. But there is a part of me that's come to a very healthy conclusion that this is life. And in mm. actual fact, some days it is about the graft. And that's just how it is. On those days, maybe that's all you can expect. And she said, I think we could, you know, look at life a bit more positively than that. But actually, that was quite helpful for me because I'm someone who expects life to be all singing or dancing all the time. And I want to feel amazing. And it was a really good leveller for me to go, do you know what? Some days are going to be kick your ass, but do you know what? You're still standing at the end of that day. And that is really empowering. That's really empowering. And you know what? I've done a lot of reading about around Buddhism and a lot of spiritual yeah, readings, same. and a lot of that is based on life is suffering. Absolutely. It's, it's the first thing that Buddhism teaches you. And in actual fact, I remember reading um, Buddhism for Mothers yep. and then talking about a lot of that. And we talk about expectations a lot in the motherhood world. You know, I've got very low expectations and zero quite a lot of the time. It's always when my expectations start to rise that my contentment starts to dissipate. I teach a lot about expectations. One of my favourite little phrases is expectations is a resentment in waiting. Because it doesn't get fulfilled. Yeah. You know, I was cross with my ex last week for all sorts of reasons. And instead of trying to shower him with love, and when I say that, I just mean from inside. Yeah. I fed the anger and the bitterness and the resentment. And it just grew and it grew. Well, what we focus on expands. Of course. So, and that's why, you know, what I think we need these little tools just to stop yeah. us in our tracks. Yeah. Whether that is a five-minute guided meditation or yeah. listening to the birds or with a therapist or with whatever, yeah. it doesn't really matter, but it's that ability for me, what I'm passionate about is how do we just stop and just examine that? Yeah. I think also we expect that because we might read about stuff and, you know, you do loads of reading on this, I think we think that this is just obvious stuff. But it's not obvious. I mean, I'm questioning my relationship with all sorts of things, sugar, mm. alcohol. I just want to be as strong and healthy and fit as I can be. Because like you said, it starts with the physical side. It starts with the body and it impacts on the mind. Mm. You know, I've just done a run this morning because I'm training for half marathon. And that will really help me today. Yeah, running's amazing. Yeah. I need to do more running. My <laughs> husband keeps saying that's me. He keeps... you know, I love it. But interestingly, I never used to run with music ever. I started running with music about a year ago because people kept saying, oh, I was always listening to music when I run. And I stopped again. And I much prefer it without anything in my... Mm. I much prefer... I think, I think it's the adversity to noise. It's more meditative. It's more a quiet moment. Yeah. And yeah. also I think when you listen to songs, you have emotional responses to them. So when you're running, a song comes on and it makes you feel a certain way and that might actually be anxious in some weird ways yeah of course there are lots of books about meditation and running I want, um, yeah yeah, yeah yeah loads of amazing oh, I ones and well this isn't me this is actually from my husband i am not a runner i want to be a runner but i'm not yet yes together that would be really good that would be so good one of my greatest things i was talking to people on friday night at this event and then michelle from dear Walla was there and she is running the same landmark london half next sunday and she's doing it for tommy's and she said, I'm not a runner, and I was never that girl that ran. And, and I said, you know what, I've always run. You know, I'm not an athlete, but I like running. And it's my go-to thing. But my greatest thing, I love hearing people who have never run discover running. Yeah. Because they love it. Yeah. I've had a weird relationship with it because I sort of discovered it did a 10k and I was so proud of myself and I loved it honestly I absolutely loved it and then I was like right I'm going to do I think this was just before I got pregnant that probably was the you know slight spanner in the uh, in the running works and yeah I've never really got back into it I do a lot of yoga but I really want to um because I can see just some personal experience how I feel afterwards it's the endorphins I think yeah and I think as well when you start running long distances it's the sense of achievement because you yeah yeah and also the time out i think yeah i meditate every day but it's bloody hard fitting it in and how do you do that do you do that with an app or do you just do that yourself you just do you know it really varies so my practice really is variable and flexible i'm not rigid with it i don't have rules around it because that doesn't help me lots of people it does for me it doesn't it's just another pressure isn't it if you don't yeah so some days yeah i'll sit and i'll just do my breathing meditation for however long i've got sometimes a minute do you find it really helps yeah and at the moment i'm using an app called calm that i really like so i just downloaded that two weeks ago and i love it and calm's actually, really good I do it before i go to bed which is probably not the best time because i'm asleep within seconds 
But I do notice that I sleep better when I've used yeah. that. And there was one thing that I know, but it was just hearing her lovely, calm voice saying it, you know, not getting attached to your thoughts and mm. just see them as clouds. Mm. See your thoughts as clouds just passing by. And I was actually thinking that on my run this morning because thoughts were coming in. I didn't want to think. I just wanted to run. So I just was like, they're just clouds. Amazing. Do you know what I read the other day that really, really helped me? There's this amazing woman called Jill Bolte Taylor, oh. who's a neuroscientist who had a stroke. She's done a TED oh, talk. My goodness. Um, she's very, very famous on her TED she talk. She came up on something. Yeah, like and she actually, if you start listening to Oprah's podcast, yeah. which you mentioned you're going to, it's on her podcast with Oprah, and yes, she said her whole message now is that we're not our thoughts. And she said to put it in perspective, our thoughts come from a part of our brain about the size of a peanut. And are you going to let, effectively, what a peanut thinks colour your whole world? And I was like, that's so helpful. Now I remember that, when my thoughts tell me I'm not good enough or I need to do something different or I'm not okay or whatever, I just think, it's coming from a tiny little bloody peanut. I'm not going to... So that really helped me, really helped me. The other thing, you saying what, you know, one thing that you want to focus on or do... Your mission, your mission. Mental health and children not necessarily mental health in children although I am concerned about that how children that live with parents with depression and anxiety are affected and what we can do to support them yep I'm very Um, passionate about that something very interesting on Friday Jeremy Vine was interviewing a lady called Sonia Sonia's mum and it was basically about her growing up with a very mentally unwell mother but it was in you know 40 years ago when no one talked about it And it was a lovely, it was a heartwarming interview. But as someone that has been erratic and suffers from this, listening to a child, you know, because she's in her 40s now, but talk about her mother and how her childhood was affected, it scared me a bit. And it made me think, you know, I'm very honest with my children about everything that we go through. But at the end of the day, I still want my kids to have a childhood and I still want them to be happy. And... I know that there's great things that they're learning because of how I am. Of course, you know, of course. You know, my children are brilliant nurturers. You know, my three-year-old is... He was amazing because he could sense last week that I was a bit frazzled. And he was amazing. You know, they tell me I'm doing a good job and thanks for the lovely dinners you make us. And, you know, stuff that you can't teach necessarily, but that they're learning Do you know what, just, you know, because I think this is hard talking about this stuff, especially, you know, for mums who have gone through it, but all the reading, you know, and I'm not a psychiatrist and I'm not a therapist, but I've read probably thousands of books on it about childhood relating to struggling parents. And the one thing that seems to come across is the honesty around what you're experiencing. Really? So if you're doing that, then that goes a massive way. The one thing that really, really, really can damage a child in yeah. terms of their ability to trust themselves yeah. is when blame, isn't it? is when they feel like something's not right but, they don't understand it. but the mum or the dad or whoever is saying everything's fine that's when we Huge. disconnect Huge. often from our Selves. And I tell lots of mums that because I think it's really helpful to hear it, that actually one of the best things that we can do is be honest about how yeah. we're feeling. So as children, there's so much about, it's called adaptive self yeah. from a therapeutic perspective, because then what happens is it's too scary to believe that there's something wrong with our parents, so we start to make up that it's us. Whereas if our parents say, yes, there is. your instincts are right... I'm not feeling great. You may be noticing that I'm feeling oh, a bit sad. So lovely that's what seems to make a really big difference yeah so the fact yeah, that you're doing I mean, that is incredible i talked to them about stuff you know when i separated from their dad we talked about it very honestly there was no frills on this you know when they sometimes say you know i wish daddy would come back it was really clear that that wasn't going to happen because i didn't think it was helpful to be like maybe yeah because it's not going to happen so but we talk about we check in with each other and I try and obviously make it secure in as many ways. But I do say to them, if I, you know, if I've been short in the morning, I mean, normally, to be honest, they have done something. Well, you know, they're just... Yeah, exactly, that's the other thing. We are allowed to put boundaries down with our children. And if I feel like I need to sit them down, I say, look, I'm really sorry I overreacted to that. But, and my eldest Eva, you know, she's not yet nine, but she'll say to me, we know, mummy, you know, you're doing a lot. It's a lot for you to do. My Mm. eldest can see that. It's a lot for you to look after us. And I always make sure I say, but I love doing it. Yeah, that's really And I always make, I always sort of feel like, 
you know, I had a very happy childhood. My mum and dad weren't, like, vocal about, I love you, I love you. I don't remember that part of it, even though they clearly did. So I do try and actually verbalise that. Mm. Because I think kids actually need to hear those words, that I love you and, and be tactile and a hug mm. and we're coming to the end, unfortunately. Oh, Otherwise, I think we could do it like a four-hour podcast. Maybe this will be maybe this will be instalment one. Um, but something that I like to ask everyone at the end is, I ask everyone the same question: yeah. is if you could give all the mums in the world one thing, what would it be, and why? Oh, as in a... It can be something physical, it can be something emotional. So some people say, you know, I'd give them self-love, or I'd I give, them... give them time. I would give them time to, not the time as in time to go for a run, I would give them my time to just sit down if they wanted to and have someone listen to them with that intent to apply without judgment because that's the stuff that gets me through is just being around. You know, I've got so many lovely, lovely friends that a lot of them who have come out of this experience, I'm open with my struggles. So I don't think there's anything better than just being in the company of some nice other mums who let you talk. Oh, That's what I would do. With no judgment. No judgment. Tell me whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> it's true though, isn't it? It's We've very all true. Done whatever you know. That's, oh, that's, that's beautiful. Well, thank you so I much. Love you. So oh, bless you. So it's very mutual. So he's now going to move in for the year. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be a fully evolved human being. <laughs> thank you. Lovely. Oh, lots of love. I hope you enjoyed the episode please check out my instagram where we continue the conversation and i post daily about all things motherhood and well-being also if you haven't already have a look at my website because i've been writing more and more blogs and i'm also putting on there all the events and talks that i'm giving and of course if you haven't then please do have a listen to some of the other episodes because i'm chatting to some really incredible women that i'd love you to enjoy And if you did enjoy it, then please, please leave a review on iTunes. It does make a massive difference to the number of mums that we can reach with this content. So thank you very much. Mm